As we begin our message today, I want to ask you to think about what comes to mind when you hear that word holy that we've been talking a bit about throughout our service. When you hear that word, what comes to mind for you immediately? For some of us, we might think immediately about Swiss cheese, holy Swiss cheese with holes in it. Some of you are like, no, that's not even slightly on my mind, but it is now, isn't it? Others of you might have thought about holes in garments, so holy that way, Um, but seeing as we're in a church context, most of you probably thought immediately about something like holy, as in sacred perhaps. So you might have immediately thought about a cathedral, a holy space, or you might think about the holy land, so Israel, Jerusalem, this sense of something that's sacred, something that's really, really important. You might think about God immediately as holy and think about God as so big and so amazing and so vast that we don't actually have words to be able to describe him well and so we use this word holy. Some of us might think about someone who's holier than now. We might think about a person who kind of thinks that they're better than everyone else, more perfect than everyone else, kind of looks down their nose at everyone else. You might know some people who are like that. Someone who, yeah, just has that sense of being perfect. And so everyone else should also be perfect. It's really important that we tune into that because as we unpack what it means to be people who are holy, we have to recognise what our initial perspectives are because we will project that onto whatever it is that we talk about today. And so if we think immediately about holiness in the sense of a sacred space like a cathedral, we might think immediately when we think about God that way as kind of this sense of, oh, we've got to be quiet, we've got to be hushed this sense of awe, don't make too much noise, this sense of reverence about what holiness looks like. If we think about God as being vast and massive and enormous, we might have this sense of, well, I don't even know where to start, I don't even know where to begin as I think about holiness. If we project that last idea about people being holier than now, and we project that onto God, then we might think that God's kind of sitting up in heaven looking down on all of us, with this sense of kind of turning his nose up at all of us, saying, I'm perfect, why can't you all be perfect? Why can't you get your act together? And so we want to be careful about where we're coming from as we get into this, because we are looking at this letter that's from Peter, the book of First Peter. Uh, we're in the second week of our series where we're working through some of the things that he says to this church that has now scattered through the area that's called Asia Minor, uh, the region that's now known as Turkey. And so last week we started our series and we gave a fairly thorough overview overview of the book of First Peter and some of the background around it. And so if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to have a listen to that on our website, on our Facebook page, on our podcast, uh, so that you can hear a bit more of that context, because that really is important as it sets us up. Today, what we're going to focus on is this question about what it means to be holy. But the challenge is that Peter pushes that even further to say that we don't need just to be people who are holy. We need to be holy like God is holy. Which I don't know about you, but that kind of challenges me very, very significantly just thinking about those words. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, Peter writes, Be holy in all that you do, just as God who called you is holy. For the scripture says, Be holy because I am holy. So again, same question for you. As you think about that idea, not just of what holiness means, But as you hear that challenge from Peter to say, be holy as God is holy, how does that make you feel? I said, for me, when I read this at the start of this week, getting ready for this week, I was like, man, that is quite a challenge for us. Be holy as God is holy. Measure up to the standard that God's got. That's really, really challenging. 
But the word holy, whenever we read it in scripture, is actually a word that means being set apart, being set apart for a specific purpose. Anytime that we read the word holy, that's what we're talking about. And so when we talk about something that's holy, when we talk about someone that's holy, or when we think about God as holy, we understand this sense of being set apart. Another way of understanding it is that there's a sense of separateness, something very different. And in particular, that sense of separateness is separate from sin, separate from selfishness, separate from brokenness, separate from being unclean, all of the junk that we sometimes feel in our lives. And so when we think about the ways in which God is holy, we want to think about the ways in which God is set apart, the ways in which God is completely different to everyone and everything else. And often when we think about that, we recognise that God is pure, We think about the purity of God, that there is nothing impure about what God is like. But that sense of purity actually comes from God's love. That we don't believe that God is just loving, that God does loving things. We believe that the core and the essence of who God is, is love. And so the reason why God is pure is because God is always and only ever motivated by love. God's actions are always loving in that sense, and so therefore God is always pure. So we can understand that, that God is separate in the sense that God is completely pure. We've also talked about the word perfect today, that we can think about how God is perfect when we think about God's separateness. But the word perfect, whenever that's used in scripture, is often the same word that's used for mature. So when we read about being perfect, we're actually being challenged to be mature, to be fully mature. And so when we think about God, we recognise that God has reached the fullness of maturity. God is everything that we should aspire to be like. And so when we read these words, be holy as God is holy, that's what we're trying to dig into. To be able to say, what does it look like for us to be pure in the way that God is pure? To be full of love the way that God is full of love. To grow to maturity the way that God has grown to maturity. I read this great quote during the week from Samuel Lucas that says, The essence of true holiness consists in conformity to the nature and will of God. Which I think is really helpful. The essence of true holiness consists in conformity to the nature and will of God. When we talk about this idea of being holy, we're really trying to say, how do we allow God, God's character, who God is, to shape us and to make us more and more like him? Another way of saying it, is that we're simply trying to become more like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to unpack the verses around this where Peter helps us to understand, practically speaking, what that looks like. And so inside of Care and Connection, you have your teaching notes. So if you want to jot things down as we go through, uh, feel free to do that. So the first thing that Peter says at the start of this passage of Scripture is that he says being holy is about being alert. In verse 13, he says, Have your minds ready for action. Keep alert and set your hope completely on the blessing which will be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so this follows on from what we talked about last week about what it means for us to be people of hope, people who live because of the hope that's been given to us, the hope that comes from what Jesus has done. And so Peter says, because you're people of hope, have your minds ready for action. Now the old version of this, like an old translation of this, has this amazing statement. Gird up the loins of your mind, 
which I thought was just spectacular when I read it this week. Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, we might not know what that means exactly, but in Peter's context, in Peter's day, when Jesus was around as well, uh, men would wear these long tunics, these long, effectively like a dress, uh, that were quite thick fabric often. And so if they wanted to do anything that involved physical labour, or if they wanted to run, whether that was to run away from something or run towards something, they would have to do something about that. And so that process of hitching up their uh, tunic was called girding up your loins. And so they would literally grab their tunic and fold it up a specific way, and then using a girdle or using a belt, they would kind of tie it up so that they were then ready for action and they could do physical work, they could do the things that they needed to do. We might say in our context, roll up your sleeves. When we think about getting ready for work, we think about roll up our sleeves and get everything out of the way so that we can go. So that's what Peter is challenging us to do. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Roll up the sleeves of your mind. Get yourself ready for action. Be intentional about what you focus on. Make sure that you're thinking about the right things. Take the initiative to get ready. Take time to reflect, to think, to process, to focus on the things that we talked about last week. Who God is, what God has done for us, who we are because of that the sense of hope that we have. Don't just press the cruise control button and just coast mindlessly through life. Be intentional. Get ready for action. Prepare your minds so that you're ready. So being holy is about being alert, tuning into the reality of what God has done for us and then making sure that that shapes our outlook. The second thing that Peter then says is being holy is about being obedient In verse 14, he says, Be obedient to God and do not allow your lives to be shaped by those desires you had when you were still ignorant. Other translations say, Live as God's obedient children, which is a helpful way of us being able to think about it. It's recognition that we've been adopted into God's family, so live like it. You've been adopted into God's family, so live by God's family values. Live the way that God's given you the opportunity to live because you're now a part of his family. But when we read that word obedient, be obedient, we can kind of struggle, especially those of us who've grown up in an Australian context. We don't necessarily love being told what to do. We don't love being told, be obedient, just do what you're told to do and go along with that. There's something in us, and I can see some of you bristling already, (laughs) saying, no, don't tell me what to do. That's very, very un-Australian. How dare you? But obedience is actually at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is a big challenge for us, especially those of us who do have more of a Western mindset, that we need to recognise, are we a part of the culture that's around us, or have we submitted to the culture of Jesus? Jesus' words to his disciples as he sent them out, and what he called the Great Commission, were to go into all the world and to teach people to obey everything that he had commanded. He didn't say, go out there and give them some suggestions that they can take or leave. He said, teach them to obey, put into practice everything that I have taught you. We talk about Jesus as our Lord, and our understanding of that is that Jesus is the leader of our life. Jesus is the one who shapes our priorities, our decisions, our motivations. Jesus is the one who is leading us. We talk about Jesus as our king, and when you're a part of a kingdom, you submit to the king. You don't have a choice about that. You do what the king asks you to do. That's what kingdoms are all about. Baptism is this beautiful symbol of that for us, 
which is why it's so important. Because in baptism, one of the questions that we ask is, do you agree to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the leader of your life? Are you willing to submit to Jesus? It's one of the questions we ask those who are getting baptised. And then we do something very symbolic where people go under the water, effectively saying, I choose to die to myself, to my way of living, and I come back to life living with Jesus as my Lord, living with Jesus as my leader, living in submission to Jesus. But we shouldn't see this as a negative thing where we feel like, oh, okay, obey, obey, obedience, submission, that's all really hard. Jesus actually says the reason why we should obey him in John, 20, uh, John chapter 14, verse 21, is that if we love Jesus, then we will obey him. We obey him out of a sense of love because we recognise that Jesus has the best way for us to live. Jesus shows us how to live life the way that we were created to live. And so we choose to obey and submit because of that. There's an interesting contrast that Peter uses when he talks about this. Live as obedient children, as opposed to allowing ourselves to be shaped by the desires that we used to have, the old way of living. He says, be obedient to what God's got for you, rather than living by your selfish desires, those things that cause brokenness, those things that cause mess around you. And the word shaped is also translated as conformed, uh, but is also sometimes translated as fashioned. And so that's really, really helpful, because when we think about fashion, we think about all of these crazy things that people do at different times. So I didn't have to look very hard to find some images of crazy fashion. So these are legitimately from fashion shows, so when we think about fashion, we think about this stuff that just kind of comes and goes and changes all the time, sometimes because people want to be radically different and put bears' heads onto a garment for some reason, I don't know, or a big zipper. Um, but sometimes fashion is also about going with the flow, that we choose to embrace fashion because that's what everyone else is doing. And that's a helpful challenge to us to say, are we obedient to God as his children, doing what he calls us to do in a way that is consistent and flows, or do we go all over the place based on changing fashions and what's trendy and what's happening at the time? Which one are we going to choose? The message translation, as always, is very, very helpful. It says, don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil, doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, but you do know now. So as God's obedient children... Let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, so you be holy. It's a beautiful way of summing up what Peter's saying there. However, in the next verse, Peter seems to kind of change tack somewhat suddenly. In verse 17, he then says, You call him Father when you pray to God, who judges all people by the same standard according to what each one has done. So then, spend the rest of your lives here on earth in reverence for him. So this is a little bit challenging for us if we think about what Peter seems to be saying here, that unless we're obedient, unless we get things right, unless we measure up to that standard of perfection that sometimes does rub against us when we think about holiness, then God is going to judge us seems really, really harsh. It seems like a big challenge. It almost seems like Peter's contradicting himself. He says, God judges everyone by the same standard according to what they've done, which isn't the same standard because we all do different things. So what on earth is Peter talking about here? Well, the NIV translation puts it this way. 
Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. What Peter's saying here is actually really, really important for us to be able to understand. Because as is true with a lot of the things that we believe, there are two extremes, two ends of the spectrum, if you like. One extreme is that we recognise that God has done everything necessary for us to have a full, complete relationship with God. That we have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, which is absolutely true. The danger is that that can make us fall into a way of thinking where we say, great, I can do whatever I want. I've effectively got a free ride. God doesn't really care what I do. He's going to forgive me anyway, so it's totally fine. I can just live however I want to. And technically that's true. We don't have to do anything because, as we've talked about regularly, it's about what Jesus has done for us. But saying God doesn't care how I then behave is missing something that's really, really important. The other extreme, which I think is where a lot of us sometimes fall into, is that I can never measure up. We feel this sense of pressure that it's all about what I do. I have to live my life the right way. I have to do all of these things correctly. I have to live perfectly because if I don't, then God's going to judge me. God's going to turn his back on me. God's going to hold his blessings back from me. We can have that negative sense. For me, I feel like most of us do sit in that camp and so that's why I tend to overemphasise the first side of the spectrum tend to spend more time talking about this reality that what Jesus has done is enough. Because many of us fall into this trap of thinking we have to earn, we have to try and do enough that God will accept us. We need to be challenged to say, no, what Jesus has done is enough. Full stop, end of story. That's absolutely true. But Peter's actually saying both of those are important. Again, as is true with a lot of the things about our faith, it's not either or, it's not one thing or the other, but it's both and. We need to make sure that we're focusing on both sides of what that looks like. One way of being able to understand that that I read this week is that the judge is the father and the father is the judge. The judge is the father and the father is the judge. That's helpful because it reminds us that the one who passes judgment on us, the one who makes a decision about whether we're a part of his family, the one who makes a judgment about whether we're forgiven, all of those things, is our Father, our Heavenly Father, who loves us enough to send Jesus for us, who has done everything necessary for us to be a part of his family, to be fully forgiven. The judge is the Father, but the Father is also the judge. The Father, who we love and who loves us, is the one who says, how are you living your life? Are you making a difference? Are you, what are you doing with everything that's been given to you? Are you making the most of that? It's both and, not either or. So we need to remember both of those extremes, that we are secure. We have an inheritance that won't fade away, as we talked about last week. We have hope that goes beyond now because of what Jesus has done for us. And yet what we do in the here and now matters. What we do as we live our lives does make a difference and is really, really important. And so we come back to this concept of the now and not yet that we've spent quite a bit of time talking about recently. This reality of where we're going, we know how the story ends, we know what's set aside for us in the future, but God says don't wait. Don't skip from here to there and just coast through life. What you do matters in the here and now. 
Again, the message translation is helpful. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's a responsible father and he won't let you get by with sloppy living, which I think is a helpful challenge. I know when I read that this morning, uh, this week, I was like, sloppy living. There are times when I kind of live a little sloppily. Yes, that's true. So what does it look like to remember? God is my responsible father. God wants me to live life the way that he created me to live. So being holy is about being obedient, trying to obey what God has got for us. Peter then says that being holy is about being set free. In verses 18 to 20, he writes, For you know what was paid to set you free from the worthless manner of life handed down by your ancestors. It was not something that can be destroyed, such as silver or gold. It was the costly sacrifice of Christ, who was like a lamb without defect or flaw. He had been chosen by God before the creation of the world and was revealed in these last days for your sake. And so Peter says, remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember the price that's been paid for you. And those words set free are often translated as the word redeemed. And we often talk about Jesus as our redeemer, or we talk about redemption, or we talk about redeeming God's redeeming work. And we know that when we get a gift card, that we can redeem that. We can take that to a shop and we can then get something in return for what we give. That idea of redemption is similar, but in Peter's day, it was far more profound than that. The word set free, the word redeemed, was used consistently in slavery. You could redeem a slave. You could pay the money to have a slave set free from slavery to give them their life back. That was a common term that was used during Peter's day, that everyone who read the word redeem would have instantly had that image in their mind. Someone paying the price for a slave to be set free from slavery to be able to now live their life. And so whenever we think about Jesus as our redeemer, when we think about redemption, when we think about that concept, that's what Peter's trying to get across. It's what Paul is trying to get across to us as well. This sense that we've been in slavery but now we've been set free from slavery. The price has been paid to set us free. And so if you think about it, if you were in slavery and someone paid the price to set you free from that, how would you live your life? You would do everything that you possibly could to make that worthwhile, to live life to the fullest. And you would never lose sight of the price that had been paid for you. That's what Peter's challenging us here as we wrestle with this idea about are we living the way God wants us to? Do we remember we've been set free? And to take that a step further, do we remember the price that's been paid for us? The price of our freedom was Jesus giving his life, his very lifeblood poured out for us. That's the price to set us free from slavery. Slavery to sin, slavery to selfishness, slavery to brokenness, slavery to all the junk in our lives. All of that has been dealt with because of Jesus. We've been set free. So Peter says, so go and live like it. Don't live like slaves anymore. You've been redeemed. Go and live like it. Peter then says that being holy is about being loving. In verse 22, he says, Now that by your obedience to the truth you've purified yourselves and have come to have a sincere love for other believers, love one another earnestly with all your heart. And so Peter now starts to sum up everything that he's been saying. He says, when we choose to be obedient to the truth, when we choose to tune in, 
gird up the loins of our minds to be ready for action based on what God has done for us. When we're obedient to the truth that we've received, we are purified. We're cleansed. There's a sense of all the junk is taken away. And that's replaced with a sincere love for the people around us, a genuine love, an authentic love. So when we tune in and when we understand these things that Peter's saying, it creates a change in us. It purifies us. It gives us a sense of love for those around us. And so Peter says, as that happens, throw yourself fully into it. Pursue love earnestly, deeply, intensely, with all of your heart, with all of your motives, with all that you are. Don't just allow it to kind of happen as you go. Throw yourself into what it looks like to love other people. Peter then says in verses 23 through to 25, which you can read during the week, that we've been born again. So this concept of having a new life, that we've got the opportunity to start again. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, where he talks about how natural things pass away, so the flowers and the grass all die, but what Jesus has done for us endures forever, and so does love. And so Peter challenges us to say, what's going to last? What's going to tune in? You might want to take some time to reflect on that throughout the week. Then the last thing that Peter says in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, the last part of this section, is that he says being holy is about being fed by the truth. He says, on the basis of all of this, rid yourselves of all evil. No more lying or hypocrisy or jealousy or insulting language. Be like newborn babies, always thirsty for the pure spiritual milk, so that by drinking it you may grow up and be saved. As the scripture says, you have found out for yourselves how kind the Lord is. So Peter says, based on everything that I've just said, all of those things that we've just worked through, get rid of all the evil in your lives. And he specifically calls out some things, lying, hypocrisy, jealousy, and insulting language. And all of those things are about untruths. So lying is obviously the opposite of truth. Hypocrisy is about pretending to be something that you're not. Jealousy is believing if I had what that person had, then my life would be better or I would be better than that person. Insulting language is saying things that are untrue about someone else. So Peter says, get rid of all that untruth in your life and instead feed on God's truth. Don't feed yourself with all that junk, but be like a little baby who craves its mother's milk so that it can get the nutrients that it needs and the nourishment that it can need so that it can grow up into what it was created to be. What are we feasting on? Are we feasting on God's truth? Are we craving what God's got for us? Or are we allowing ourselves to be fed by lies, fed by untruths, fed by things that don't help us to grow and to develop? So as we wrap up our message today, I want to remind us what the title of this series is, which is The Future Starts Now. Our focus throughout this series is all these things that Peter talks about will be true for us in the future. And so here we can recognise that one day we will be holy as God is holy. And think through what we've covered. We will be alert to the reality of what God has done for us. That will be our daily reality in eternity. We'll just be constantly aware of all that God's done for us. We will be obedient to live the way that God wants us to live. That will just be normal for us. We will recognise that we have been set free and will be living out of that sense of freedom. We will be loving deeply and intensely. We won't be able to help ourselves but do that. We will be constantly fed and nourished by God's truth for us. 
That's what's waiting for us in the future. But we don't have to wait. We have the opportunity to be able to live that way now, today, this week. And so the question for us to reflect on as we head into this week is if the future starts now, how can I pursue holiness this week? And hopefully that's a helpful recalibration of what holiness means. Because I think for me, when I started looking at this this week, if I thought about what does it mean for me to, be, to pursue holiness this week, I would have thought, what are the rules? What are the things I have to do and make sure I don't mess up with? But pursuing holiness the way that God is holy is so much richer than just this set of rules that we have to follow. So as you look at that list, is there anything for you as you head into this week that jumps out at you? Maybe it's about being more alert to what God has given you, the truth of what God has done for you, rolling up the sleeves, girding up the loins of your mind, being able to say, what does it look like this week for me to tune in more to the reality of what God's done and to be intentional around that? Maybe for some of us it is about obedience. There is a sense where we know, and as we're sitting talking about obedience, there's something just tugging at us. That little thing that I know that God's been challenging me to do, that little thing that I know that God's been challenging me to stop doing, that little thing that I know God's asking me to have the courage to pursue, maybe there's something in us that's just kind of tugging. I know there's something God's calling me to a greater level of obedience in. Is there something for us to be challenged around that? Maybe it's about freedom, recognising the freedom that has been given to us, recognising that slavery has been finished for us, and so are we living out of the freedom that we've been given? Maybe it is about loving more genuinely, more deeply, more intensely. Maybe there's someone that I know, I can pursue a deeper sense of what it means to show God's love to them. Maybe for some of us it is about being fed on God's truth, a recommitment to say, as I head into this week, what does it mean for me to be able to feed on the truth that God's got for me? Rereading through these passages that we've looked at, rereading through other parts of Scripture that help me to understand who God is, who I am, what Jesus has done for me, what it means to follow Him. So, as you look at that list, is there one thing that jumps out to say, as I head into this week, as I pursue this idea of being able to say, how can I be holy as God is holy? Is there something? that jumps out for you. It's going to take a moment for us to reflect and if you want to jot something down, you can feel free to do that and then I'll wrap up in prayer and hand over to Tim who's going to lead us around the communion table. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are holy in all of the different ways that we've unpacked throughout this morning. That's what you're like. You are the fullest version of all of those things. You are pure. You are loving. You are fully grown in all of these different areas. 
It's amazing to think about the reality of who you are. But it's even more amazing and humbling in some ways to think about this challenge that you give to us to be like that, to be like you. In some ways that overwhelms us because we all know the flaws that we've got, the brokenness that we've got, the ways in which we feel like we don't measure up. And so we thank you that you have done enough for us. That through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, everything that's necessary has been done for us to pursue a sense of holiness. That we don't have to get our act together. We don't have to become holy in order for you to accept us. It's the other way around. Because of all that you've done for us, you call us to a life of holiness. A life where we embrace all of these things that we've talked through. And so my prayer is that as we head into this week, for each of us, you would help us to have a sense of what the one thing is that you want us to work on this week, recognising that on the other side of that, there's something else and then something else and something else. That's the journey of our lives. We're not striving for perfection in the sense of trying to get everything under control. But you do call us to continue to take steps forward to become more like you, Jesus. And so I pray that as we head into this week, you would convict us, you would challenge us, you would encourage us about those areas of our lives where we can pursue a greater level of holiness, where we can be more like you. Not so that you will love us more, not so that you will even like us more, not so you will accept us more, but so that we can experience more of the life that you've got for us and share that life with the people around us. In your name we pray. Amen.